First, I want to thank the sponsors for this event, Ruben Bibi, Svi Jacobs, Michael Strasser, Robert Yusupov, and David Pack. May Hashem give them all of these people, Yeshuot, etc. So it's a tremendous pleasure for me to have the rabbi here, Rabbi, rabbi Pinson, um, who's ever been on the podcast, has heard many, many classes, over, I don't know, 50 classes with rabbis' teachings. Rabbi, I think you have 50 books, 60 books. And the most important thing about, about the rabbi is he's, he, I've never seen somebody be able to bring Kabbalah down to earth. And that's really his strength. Um, the rabbi, is, his teachings, his books are phenomenal. And they're very deep, yet at the same time they're very practical. So tonight we're going to talk about 10 to 12 topics. Um, just to keep, to keep the ADHD uh, <laughs> open. And I'm sure we have a lot of things on our minds, and based on my experience with everybody, um, I just want to talk about practical things that we can really, really help. So we'll keep the answers relatively short, um, but yet practical so we can come home tonight and we can get something out of this, etc. The class will be on YouTube, it will be recorded, but especially, it's an amazing opportunity to have the rabbi here, and the schut of unity, and the schut of higher consciousness, we should, we, we should all, all God willing, be, have made you Yeshuot. Amen. Amen. This class is also the Nishma Yerfel and also success of my wife, Elisheva Banava, that gave me the, the strength to do these classes. Okay, Rabbi, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome, thank you. welcome to, uh, to Aventura. We're so happy to have you here, Rabbi. And uh, again, we thank you so much. I personally can thank you. Uh, I've learned so much from your teachings. Um, it's just, it gave me real, real practicality. Because remember, we can, you know, you speak a lot about the, without action, all this is really going nowhere. So the first thing is obviously, we want to talk about Israel. Obviously, Rabbi, what practical tools, what do you recommend us doing practically for this um, obviously, you know, for example, Rabbi Rush speaks about, you know, dedicating a certain amount of time every day to giving to Kali Yisrael, actually praying. Um, because anytime there's a time of war, he, he, he says it's a time to blow the trumpets. So blowing the trumpets re represents prayer. So he, he's, he's, he wants everybody to do 15 to 20 minutes of giving prayers to every, every Eretz Yisrael. And that's something that I, I've been doing and recommended. And I've seen major, major miracles just on that. Remember, one who, one who prays for others gets answered first. So if you're praying and you're joining this, this effort, you are going to get answered first. So Rabbi, what do you think are some of the practical tools that we can, this is gonna, seems like it's gonna be a, a pretty, pretty much a major journey. It's gonna be a process. Yeah, so first of all, thank you for hosting. Thank you for putting all this together. Um, of course, prayer, davening, tefillah is always essential and important, especially at a time like this. You know, Chazal speak about the two types of soldiers that went out to battle. There were some battles, some that did the physical battle, and there were ones that were holding the spiritual battle. There's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov, that the Baal Shem Tov says, that war, when there's war in the world, 
It's because there's a disconnect between Yisod and Malchut. Wow. Which means there's a disconnect between a type of consciousness of being and actuality. The Malchut, which is the container, the vessel of how we receive our, receive our life, is disconnected from the way we think about it. And in short, we always have to think about what is the war about? And everything in life has both a siba, a cause, and has a sitas, a sitas, 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 like the cause of the cause, the primary cause. Now the primary cause, because that's the will of Hashem, ain't no father. But the siba, the, the cause on a physical plane, is that there was a lack of achtas in Klal Yisrael, a lack of unity in Klal Yisrael. We were weak as a people, mentally and spiritually, because of the infighting. It also created a lack of bitachan asli, trust in oneself, to know the value of who we are, what it means to be a part of Klal Yisrael. And we were vulnerable because of that. Mm. And the, part of the tikkun is to work on achtas. I just want to say one thing, one important thing. Whenever we talk about tikkun, we're not talking about someone else's tikkun. Because it's very nice to talk about what else someone else has to do. Sometimes catastrophes happen to call Yisrael, and people say, it's because those people are not keeping Shabbos, right. and those people are, that is a very, very low level of spirituality. That is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden and why they were rejected from the Garden of Eden. They were rejected from the Garden of Eden not because of what they did, but because they passed the responsibility to each other. Wow. That the man said, my wife told me, and the wife said, the snake told me, and the snake told me, someone else. And Hashem says, okay, you're out of here. Not because of what they did, because they didn't take responsibility. Wow. Living our life spiritually means to take responsibility for our lives and for the life that we see. So we talk about anything that we see in this world, we always have to ask the question is, what is my responsibility to this? How do I contribute to this event? What spiritually is something that I'm lacking that allowed for this possibility to happen? And I think there are two things for every person uh, to think about in terms of their own life. Achlis, we really need to understand that Klal Yisrael, all the people of Israel are a Gevi'a Achas, they're one being. It's not something that happens the horrific events that happen on Sumchas Torah is not something that happened to another person, not even to a brother and sister. It's actually something that happened to you. Wow. A limb of your body was cut off, and a limb of your body is now in Gaza. That's what we have to understand. It. It's we, the collective. It's part of me. And therefore, the question always is, if it's part of me, what is my solution? Because I need to deal with it, and I'm taking full responsibility for it. Achtos, to recognize this idea. And betochenatzli, self-respect. That we have to walk around with, with, with pride, with, with openness, with confidence. Everything that was taken from us, maybe, or was, was wanted to be taken from us, because we didn't have that, this is what we have to reclaim. Not to cower to fear, but to be even stronger Jews, more proud Jews, and more openly Jews. Beautiful, beautiful. It's a great, great, 
Rabbi, I was I was doing a class yesterday, and I was reading. Um, Rabbi Rush spoke about um, the events in in Meron, how somehow, you know, we, we forgot about the uh, forty five people that died in Meron. We forgot we forgot about the Surfside building that collapsed. We, for, we forgot about this. Like, how in the world did you just forget about this? Like, nobody's talking about that again. Maybe that, maybe that was the warning sign. Again, I'm just speculating, but maybe that's, you know, I always say that, you know, good times brings comfort, which bring bad times, and the bad times bring good times. But I, I was just thinking about that, that the whole message of, of that time was we're, we're, we're stopping and we're, we're not giving each other space. And somehow that, didn't, that momentum didn't last that long. And here we are today. And, and it, I was really thinking about that. It was, it was a concept like, you know, what, did anybody change from that event? Has anybody changed? Can I say that you've changed from that Maron event? I mean, insane. It happened in Lagba Omer, one of the happiest days of the year with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I mean, it, these, these events happening at, at these times, it's, it's, you know, God is definitely sending us a message. What, how, how do you relate that event to this event? Again, it's very, uh, we're very, historically, as Jews, we're, we're not supposed to like really understand events. God. Because the moment you understand it and give it rational, some type of rationalization, it's almost sort of a justification. Like if I say the reason why the Holocaust happened is because you just said that it had to happen. Understood. And the previous Lubavitcher of the Riyad said, we don't have to be God's lawyer. We don't have to give reasons why this happened. And I think what you're saying is much more powerful. It's the question is, when there's a little knock, are we getting it? Right. Or do we need someone to slam the door in our face? Like at what point are we going to wake up and recognize that we have a purpose in this world? That Atabeda, I call you so, we have a, a mission in this world. We're created for a mission. And the world is waiting to hear what we have to say. And no one is saying it. Maybe you. Okay. But, but no one is saying it. Like, why? What is the Jew? What does he represent to the world? And why is he making so much noise? Why, are, why is some, a, a population that's not even 1% of the world population the head of every single news channel all over the world? Like, there's something about this. And what, so what? What is it? What are you? What do you stand for? You know, this week's Parsha, we talked about Avram Avinu. There, there was a mission statement that the mission was because we're going to teach the world justice and righteousness and holiness and transcendence. And that's our purpose. We're supposed to be a malachas koyin. We're supposed to be a kingdom of priests. And we have to own it. Rabbi, you often speak about that the greatest teshuva is living with a higher consciousness. In a higher consciousness, we're not jealous of each other. In a higher consciousness, we don't speak bad about each other. In a higher consciousness, we are fearless. But when we fall in that lower consciousness, it seems to be that we point fingers outside. Um, and that, that's something that, talk about, talk a little bit about higher consciousness. Why, why the solution is, as we, we said many times, that when Mashiach comes, the world will be in a higher consciousness. The, 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 there'll be presence, there'll be, everybody will get, will understand each other. 
Talk, talk a little bit about the, how important it is for us to constantly fight to be in a higher consciousness, seeing everything for the best instead of becoming victims to a situation. I think the, um, the natural tendency of man is to go to their comfort zone. And the comfort zone of people is usually their lower selves. For whatever reason, that's like another conversation why this happens. And therefore, when faced with a certain thing, automatically we would rather go to the place where we're comfortable, even though it's destructive, than actually open ourselves up to something different, another way of saying it. But when we live from a higher level of consciousness, everything just seems more right, right. more correct. And I'll give you an example, a very simple example. We're not talking about it. a person sitting and praying all day or meditating all day. A very simple example, you know, if you're, if you're marrying of a child or at a birth of a child and the person that you really dislike walks into the room and you haven't spoken to this person for many years and you're dancing at your son's wedding, your daughter's wedding, and they grab your hand and say mazel tov. You're gonna just grab your hand and dance. Right. All the all the narishkeit, all the small levels of pettiness, is just going to fall away. We have that quality. We know what that means. We tap into it once in a while. What it means to be in a higher place when trivialities and nonsense and, and stupidity and, and fights and, and this really small things, pettiness, really takes hold of us. So it, everyone has it. It's a matter of rediscovering it and reconnecting to this, to that place that we're, that's who we truly are. I think after uh, October 7th, 80% of people's problems went away. Right. <laughs> Whatever you thought had a problem somehow didn't, was not so important anymore. Uh, so that, that's also teaching us that our perspective was in the wrong place. Um, you know, the ego blocks perspective and, and you know, makes us self-centered. I think you spoke about it in, in the month of Cheshvan. The, the, the work is to really fight the snake consciousness, which is falling into depression and being self-centered. Talk about the snake consciousness. What is, what is, the, what is the practicality of the snake consciousness? And, and talk about, give us practicality, as you, you said when we say modim, when we pray, the, the bending over but standing up. Correct. Now, this is a very big topic, but I would just say that the, the snake in the Torah, the, the way the Torah describes the snake, is that it's an external voice. There's like an inner voice of, that Adam has and the Chava have, and then there's an external voice. And the snake represents the external voice. The external voice is the world of fantasy and imagination. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's it's layered over in, onto our consciousness. It's not actually something we think about. It's not created from within ourselves. That's, that's a redemptive consciousness. That's a redemptive imagination. But an unredeemed imagination is you are bombarded continuously with subliminal messages, continuously. Like just walking down the street, you're hearing things, you're seeing things, and that creates a certain narrative to you. And then you live in that place, that snake consciousness. And that's why it's full of fear and uncertainties and worry and anxieties, because this was not something that's coming from the inner core. Beautiful. This is creative. Um, we have to reclaim our imagination. That's part of the real spiritual work, is reclaiming our imagination. Reclaiming our imagination means to choose to imagine, to use your chushatzi, your, your power of imagination. So when you learn something, for example, right. um, 
don't just let it be in the left part of the brain, mm. like information, which is excellent. You have to know what you have to know. But let's say, how could I actually imagine this truth in my life? And the more you train yourself, the more you become, the way the Rambam, the Maimonides describes this, is that you become the rider of the horse. Beautiful. As opposed to the horse riding you, which is your imagination. You, you spoke about your, in, in your, in your, some of your interviews that when we actually look at these pictures, it actually blemishes and it, it affects our souls. So there's, there's actually, even if you try to like, you know, some of these pictures, even if you try to like, you know, not pay attention to it, and it, it, there's, a, there's a deep effect. There's a, there's a effect that, I, and I didn't even know until I heard, but there's actually, a, a, what, what, what affects us when we are looking at these pictures? And why is a picture different than, a new, than just hearing it on the news? Because he, hearing, the difference between an image and, and something that you're hearing, hearing is immediately translated by you. Okay. Your, your mind is right away listening to what you're hearing and giving it a certain understanding of what you're hearing. Right, because every person has a certain filter that they're filtering that. But imagery, especially when you're bombarded with imagery, you don't have enough process time to actually mm. decide, this is, I'm gonna put this into this particular context and I'm able to label it in a certain way how I wanna receive it. So it just enters the way, it, the way it enters. And if it's a very violent, God forbid, image or something that's other types of imagery, it, it affects us. And then people walk around, you know, angry. Right. And like, why am I angry? I'm, right. I'm, I have a good life. Well, if you stop taking angry images into your mind, you won't be angry. Why do I have these terrible thoughts? Well, you allow these thoughts to enter and, and they're very subliminal. So right. to be aware of what, Intake is very important. Because you know, one step is we do have to create a voice, and second, we have to also create a symptom. Also, not too much, not to get too involved, because the, obviously we have to. There has to be a speaking up, obviously. But too, oh, no, get no, too I, involved. This, this yeah. is not against. Yeah. This is not against. No, on the contrary, of course we have to speak up. Right. No, we have to. We have to speak up. Um, this is part of. This is part of the redemption. The kukula. Mm. Consciousness, Agula consciousness is that uh, exile consciousness is I'm just receiving what life presents to me okay. and I'm always on the run. And Agula consciousness is I don't run anywhere. Talk about visualization. So, for example, you've told you said many times in your books that the, the key to redeeming, the key to redemption was a change from catastrophe to visualization to, to all of a sudden, you know, imagining the best case scenario, which I've used many, many times. Talk about the, what, what times are good for that? What should a person do? Should he just picture the event? I just picture events, for example. I, I use music, I, you know, for example, I, I'm picturing myself going back to Israel and, and going on vacation, everything being fine and hearing good news. I use music, I use visualization. Give, give everybody some tools on, on what, what kind of visualization should people do? Should they use music? Should they use... Um, the real answer. How to evoke emotions yeah. so, so we can bring it out and actually believe in it? I don't know if every person is exactly the same. You know, not every person operates the same way. Okay. Some people are very visual. Some people audible, some people are through sound, some people are very tactile. 
every person has to know, you have to know who you are. Any the beginning of the foundation of any type of higher level of consciousness living is actually knowing yourself, Okay. right? So I, you have to know who you are, what really resonates in your being. If you are a visual person, right, that's, that's, that really evokes things for you, I would say probably the, the best times are probably in the early morning mm. before the world becomes muddied with other imagery. Um, this, the, this, the atmosphere of the universe gets a little bit more dense as the day goes on. Um, that's why, you know, in sukkahs, for example, it's called, that sukkah is the idea of yiska, which is like Ruach Kodesh, that person has higher intuition because you like clean, you cleanse the air with the, with the sukkah or the lulav. So it's a, like, you're an easier receptacle to receive. So I think early morning, late at night, when the world is sleeping is actually a good time. And also, it's important to if you do visualization, to, to do it completely. Mm -hmm. um, and also to end it. So let's say, for example, a person is doing a visualization of themselves being healed. Right. Let's say even physical healing. Like, that could be, should be done as well. Let's say a person, but we'll use the metaphor of physical healing. Let's say a person is thinking about, they have a cut, right? So you can visualize the, the cut congealing things, the body, healing itself, or you can, let's say, visualize getting stitches, for right. example, but take it to the end. Now imagine the doctor that stitched you, putting his way his, right, walking out the room. You have to- The actual, the actual physical steps. Correct, you actually, you have to go through the whole process. Right. Because otherwise it's just a visual, but when, if you materialize the visual into its conclusion, that's very important for any type of visualization. Like you say, you're visualizing yourself going to Israel, on vacation. Right. Visualize yourself already coming back, and you're already home. Wow. Like, so go through the whole process of that. And then, of course, if you're a person that's also audible, you can add music, and you can add, right. or tactile, or movement, whatever, you, whatever really evokes and allows you to have that full experience. You know, I find that visualization is, is a great way to see where you're at. Because if you can't even picture it, that means you're not even believing in it. And that, that allows you at least to recognize where, where, the, where the blockage is. So I've had situations in my life where I can't even see it. And if I can't even see it, that means there's a problem. I can't believe it. I don't believe in it. So it, it's, 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 you shouldn't get frustrated when you're doing these, these spiritual exercises and these visualizations. You should just get data. For example, if it's hard for you to do it, that means there's a lot of resistance there. So I don't look at it as something bad. I go, okay, I need to go into the breath. I need to go clear the clear the thing. So I, I promise you it works. Visualization works. Rabbi Nachman said it in, in his teachings, Lesson 62. He says, if you visualize it, and it has to be like the rabbi says, complete to, to the extent of every single detail. And I've had people getting married. I told them, tell me exactly the hotel you're going into. Where are you going to book? Pretend you're going to be doing the daily, daily. And I've seen tremendous results. Because exactly, but isn't visualization a Muna? Yep, visual, that's, that's part of the Muna. Yes, it's a Muna. What is it? Yeah, the Rabbi Shah writes that, that a Muna is to see. A Muna is to see it. A Muna is to see it, yeah. Beautiful. You actually, you see it. Beautiful. So, uh, yeah, like you say, like resistance. You know, Claudius saw the beginning of the whole redemption process to get out of Egypt. They had to visualize themselves getting out of Egypt. This is why the first mitzvah that they receive in the Torah, even before they leave Egypt, is to sanctify the new moon. It's very important, this concept, and in, in my own life, I've seen this, 
when you are visualizing every single day, you become very sensitive because you can go into these spaces. So what happens is, is if you know you're gonna visualize the next morning, you're not gonna watch a horror film the night before. Because that horror film is not gonna allow you to visualize. Does that make sense? It's extremely important that it's not so much the visualization, sometimes you have to cut what's not allowing you to get to these places. Because the place itself, if you're getting so much static from other things, you can't go into that space. And let me explain to you, once you get into that space of visualization, that is the biggest addiction. It is the biggest addiction that you can go and actually wake up, get into a space, visualize something and it comes true. It's, it's, it's a whole different relationship to God. It's a whole different, it's a whole different mindset versus, you know, anxiety, it's, I didn't put the work in. The same thing, we don't think about, it's not working, it's very simple, I'm not putting in the work in. And, and, and that, the mindset of I'm not putting in the work doesn't make you a victim, it tells you, you got work to do, put the work in. And that usually has done tremendous things. I, I visualize so many things in my life. But again, a lot of sometimes if I can't get to that space, you know, I'm visualizing the heat lose. I'm visualizing this. My head is not in the space where I want to be. So it's extremely important. You have to be careful what you're watching. And these things, like the rabbi said, affect your head. So there's got to be some cutting. You know, we can't go to the gym with a you know, 2,000 2, calorie smoothie and expect to get results. So we really have to be serious. It has to be a serious thing. And it works. If you use music, it works a thousand percent. Rabbi Nachman spoke about it. All, all Hasidus is teaching about it. And that's, I think, we're, we're all yearning for that redemption where we can visualize something. We're all yearning for that. I just want to say that, you know, you mentioned watching horror films before going to sleep. Right. Um, I think... Which is CNN, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's super important to know this, that because when a person is going into a dream state, they are actually going into a visualized universe. It's super important to enter into that place with positive imagery. Right. You have to enter sleep in the right space. You can't go to mm. sleep angry, anxious, that's clear. Beautiful. But even you can't go to sleep with any type of negative imagery. You should never fall asleep watching something that is negative, ever. Mm. You should always have a way that you're entering into sleep. You're choosing how you're entering into sleep. You're saying, I'm entering into sleep. As I'm falling asleep, I'm imagining, I'm thinking about this. And then when you enter the sleep, you actually create it. And then it becomes wow. manifest. It's so true because, you know, we wake up completely different. You know, it, you wake up, you know, there's days that you wake up, you're more spiritual those days, you wake up with energy. Yeah. And there's other days that your soul is just not refreshed. You wake up exactly the same. You wake up with like a you're hungover from yesterday's right. uh, yesterday's situations. So you're, you're saying that because we're not going to sleep we're the not right going, way. We're not going to sleep correctly. If you want to wake up like in the Hasidic masses say, if you want to wake up like a mensch, if you want to wake up like a person, you got to go to sleep like a mensch. Hmm. So if you go to sleep like a mensch, you should never like you should not, a person should never like drop to bed, like this whole thing is, the, you know, you know, you're so tired, it just conk. It's not good. You have to enter. It's it's a it's a process. It's it's a work. It's an avoidance. Sleep is not just there because 
he can't function 24 hours a day. Sleep in itself has inherent value. So if you have to enter into sleep, maybe make a bracha, that's a hamapli, make a bracha, say shma, you're supposed to enter into that state, and then okay. you feel like your soul is entering, and then you can think what that means, and enter into a positive place, and you can wake up differently. Right, because you, you told, I mean, many times, Rabbi Nachman, all, this, all, all the sages are telling us that we cannot get to prophecy without, without joy. Correct. Like, joy is the biggest vehicle for prophecy. Correct. So Correct. if we're not getting the, the message, if we're not getting that, the visualizations, because we're not, we're not in joy. We're not yeah. in joy. Rabbi, let's talk a little bit about relationships. Um, it seems to be what Rabbi Nachman has said many times that our life is a war, and what we see outside is what's inside of us. He says if we're married, the war is within our in-laws, the war is with our family. If we're single, the war is in our head. But there will always be a war. The only thing you could do is not live there. These are exactly his words. After hearing that, I came to a level of acceptance. That any any time we have we have a little peace, it's it's you know it's a three day break, but it's not it's not a permanent situation that we were going to have you know guaranteed peace. Um, that's what he said. Talk a little bit about he, he basically is telling us that what you see on the outside world is happening in the inside of your head, and the days you feel angry, there's a Hamas energy inside of you. Um, he didn't say Hamas energy, but he says there's a, a certain nation that's overpowering you. And we, we, we know there's 70 nations, and these 70 nations have different characteristics. So he says that we're always going to be at some kind of a war. I, I don't remember the last time uh, somebody called me up and says, I love my mother-in-law, what can we do for them tomorrow? <laughs> you know, there's always something. There's always a family member. This one's not talking to that one. This one's not talking to this one. I've yet to see a case where everybody's just, um, you know, everybody's getting along. What should we do? How should we deal with it? You spoke about equanimity. What, what, do, you, what do you suggest in a modern world with uh, these relationship issues? It's a, this, it's a loaded question because, mm -hmm. because... It's a little frustration coming up. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> There's um, there's a lot of I'm, I'm doing a, I'm doing a little venting myself. Fine, fine, I got it. Okay, it's it's a, because there's a lot of layers here. Or just talk about relationships on, on, on I, what, yeah. what what to expect. I feel like sometimes in in my practical in, in yeah. general, maybe our expectation is supposed to be that we're supposed to be you know ninety percent or eighty percent happy, and that ten percent if it's more than ten percent, there's a problem. It, are real are expectations out of whack, or is, I, uh, are we? Are we what's, what, what do you think is happening in, in, from your personal perspective of what you've seen? I believe that there's there's stages in relationships. Okay. And you are going to get to a place where you're going to live in perfect harmony with your spouse. You will. In perfect harmony. Yeah. Yeah, you will. Yeah. You will. You will. Please send more wine, please. Yeah. Let it let it go in through. Let it go through. You you will. You will. You will. You just have to be patient. There is. And on Lama Ba or Lama Zen? In Oyelam Hazan. In Oyelam Hazan. It's not immediate. Things. 
you know, we have a certain expectation. This is where the expectation happens. The Kotzkerber once said that people want to change. Everyone wants to change. They want to grow. But they want to change overnight. And they want to have a good night's sleep at night as well. Which means we don't have, we lost our sense of process. We want immediate results for everything. Mm. We live in a world that's everything very, everything's fast. Everything is immediate and dispensable. You have a cup of water, it's plastic, you throw it out. I'm not getting to the whole environmental issue, but that's the way people live. Which is, we live with, is this working for me? Yes, okay, not, I'll move on. Right, that's, that's the nature of the way we live, mindset. because that's the mindset. And we lost the art of process. Mm. That things actually evolve in stages. Beautiful. And therefore, a marriage, like any, uh, any development, goes through different stages. There is the stage where, when you're young, and you're younger in the marriage, some say 10 years, but there's different ways, and even the Chazal, different ways to think about it, is that in the beginning of a marriage, of course, there's two different, two different people, have two different ambitions, two different desires, two different ways of thinking, right. and there's always constantly clash. And then you have to figure out, like, if it's, if it's over 50% positive, then you're doing pretty good. So your number is 50%. Yeah. Got it. In the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. But then as you grow older, you know, I'll give you a, I'll give you a metaphorical example, and then like a literal example. There is, there is the word voracious. The word voracious has three nakudas, three vowels. So be, which is a shva, right, which is a dot on top of a dot. Then it has a, a tseir, which, are you familiar with this? this? Then it has a tseir, which is two dots next to each other. And then shiz is with a chirik, which is one dot. And that's the way relationships work. It starts off top down, hmm. which is which is called Akhar Bakhar, back to back. Which is I don't know you, you don't know me, we're gonna try to make this work. Right. Slowly from this encounter, slowly the relationship starts moving in a way that we're both parallel to each other. Ever so old, older people, this is just an image, but you see like older people, I mean I guess there's a lot of older people here. Right. They're sitting on like a uh, porch, a porch on a chair, looking out. Not on the internet. What? They're not on the porch anymore. They're on the internet. Not the older people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what that is. You know what that image is. It's like right. I'm in dialogue with you for 50 years, and at some point you're actually sitting next to me, and we're looking wow. together. It changes the dynamic. We're not just in conversation, which is healthy, which is a face-to-face -face relationship. And I'm some. Sometimes you think one, and you think the other way, and therefore we have to work things out. But eventually, over time, if you have patience and, and commitment, commitment means it's not disposable. This is like a person that I'm going to build my life with. Through thick and thin, we're gonna work this out. Of course, if it's working, right, obviously. And we're having a lot of better times than worse. And we're getting committed to this person. And over time, eventually, you're gonna end up sitting like a tzeret, side by side, looking at the horizon. And then you become a chirik, you actually become one. And that's that's the perfect harmony where you actually you 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 share the same dreams, mm. you you share the same ambitions, and it and through the marriage and the stages and the process there'll be times that you have one way she'll have another way and then you'll figure it out together like what is the best for the family what is best for the children 
And slowly you'll start morphing into this collective vision, and I think you'll have harmony. Rabbi, what do you think? It's a very common, and I've seen this myself, I've seen this with other people, that the person you marry, there's a good chance they're gonna change. And there's a good chance you're gonna change. So, you know, obviously we're all trying to, you know, fit the perfect box in the perfect situation. But usually, you know, people think, you know, this is not the person I married. What do you what do you do when you see a change or a person committed? And this is a common question right. again. What do you do when you see a change where a person committed that they're going to keep a certain amount of, they're going to keep Shabbat, they're going to keep a certain amount of Nida, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, not interested anymore. Is it a time for a divorce? Is it a time for patience? Is it a time, what does a person do? And that, that's, that has become a very typical example right. today. Okay, um, obviously that's, every, uh, obviously it's a loaded question. No, it's, no, it's loaded because it's also, you have to tailor the question to each individual. It can't, right. can't be answered. Okay. But I would say like this, remember rule number one of spirituality is always me. It's never them, there is no them, it's always about me. Always about me, right. always about me. So the question is like this, there's a Talmudic teaching that says that the first spouse that you marry is destiny. Basco, the Basco, is a heavenly voice says this is the person you're gonna marry. The second one, which is not in sequence, but the second one you're gonna marry is gonna be Lufi Maisa according to your actions. And the, the deeper understanding of that, it's actually talking about the same marriage. Oh, well. You marry the person because that's what Hashem wanted, especially if you're young. Like, no one really knows why they're marrying this person. <laughs> they really, you think you do, but when you're in 20s, you have no idea. Because that's what Hashem wanted, this is the person I want to share my life with. You're young and stupid, which is the best. Exactly, so Hashem's power can come through you without actually your right. ego getting in the way. Okay, you're living your marriage, and it's destiny, and 10 years later, you should know, it's Lufi Maslow, it's according to your actions. Well, the person is actually a reflection of you. Now, we're not talking about an extreme example, the person's abusive, I'm not- The I'm guy saying, or the girl? Both, which, each both. one, each one is a reflection of each other. If I see something in my spouse, that's a reflection of me. The way I acted for the last 10 years produced that. Hmm. And the way she acted the last 10 years produced this. And each one has to take responsibility in the marriage and say, what made, what did I do in, in the last, to turn this person into a person that doesn't want to keep Shabbos? Well, Instead of saying it's that person's fault, remember, it's never them, it's always you. Them is the snake in the garden. Adam says, she told me, she said, the snake told me, everyone's passing. It's, this, is, this is the epitome of Eitzeb, this is the epitome, epitome of, this, of stress. Right. Not taking responsibility. So, you're living for many years? The other person is your reflection. Again, we're not talking about abusive situations that extreme. But a regular situation is you have a, a pretty decent marriage, the person's reflecting you. And you're saying this is, this is the same thing with women and men in general? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The okay. woman reflects the man, the man reflects the woman. Put that in the record, please. Because <laughs> usually the men have they take the hit on this one. Yeah. Usually the men take the hit on this one. So the men think that it's their fault, but the women don't. The, if the man was giving them enough light, right. the, the moon would reflect right back. Yeah, but, but if the man good. is acting like a moon, then you have two moons in the house. Yeah, but the, but the moon can't be shining her, her light. Okay. If the, so she has to also own her. Everyone has to own it. Everybody has to own it. You have to own your life. And what, what recommendations, for example, Where's the first step in that situation or relationships? What do, where's the, what do you what do you recommend? 
let's say a situation where again this is not my personal stuff right this is I'm just talking in general right if, if when a person has to pick between their, their mother and their wife this is a common thing where you get this answer very often you get this question very often I want to respect my mother but my mother my dog my wife is not talking to my mother and if he doesn't take her side he's sleeping in the garage and yet he wants to respect her mother by having kibbutz by him. So these are these are real questions that I get. So I'm just it's a good time to yeah, yeah, ask these questions. That is, that is a real question. What what does a person do? What should he do? Should he try to find a resolution? Whose side he should take, etc. I'm sure somebody else has this, these questions in the room. I'm feeling. You know, there was I was I once observed. This was very many years ago. It was someone's house. And uh, it was a young couple, and the wife did something like like clumsy, I guess, like she spilled or something, and the guy, like winked to me, like oh, like or made with her head, and then I realized, bad one. That is terrible. You are your, you are your wife's side, right? That's what you're doing now. You're not your your commitment. You know, we can have a commitment to the past, or a commitment to the future. We should always commit for the future. When we're building a home, your number one priority is to build your home. Okay. And part of the building of the home is to have a good relationship with your spouse, a good relationship with your children. Now, if your parents, for some reason, can't do that in the relationship, then unfortunately, it's too bad. Be besides, besides doing the practicality of becoming the change you want to be, is it my job or, or my spouse's job to fix the other person's spirituality? Am I, am, I, am I okay saying, listen, this is where I'm at in my life. I, if you don't want to change, I have to respect you. I, I, do I have to attempt to change the person? Do I have to, how much space is the person supposed to do? Because a lot of people think that it's their project to change another person. No. It's not your project no. to change another person. No. No. Okay. Absolutely don't. The reason why the other person, you're living with this other person, is to change yourself. Got it. That's what you have to realize. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's always about yourself. That should, that should solve 50% of the marriage problems in here, right? <laughs> okay, good. The men are not moving too much here. They're not smiling either. <laughs> Rabbi, you speak, you, you've, you've created, you have, you have books on breathing, you have books on meditation, and something was very fascinating where I really went into the, into the connecting to the breath, is you, you spoke about that, our Rabbi Kaplan also says this, mirrors this exactly what you say, that one of the best ways to connect from your subconscious mind to your conscious mind is through the breath. And obviously, you know, 90% of our lives um, are from our subconscious. What, what, what practical tools do you have for that? Again, the rabbi, just to tell the rabbi has books on visualization, the, books, the rabbi has books on sound, the rabbi has, it's, it's very strange that you see this practicality and how you're really bringing these things out. Um, what, what kind of breathing methods do you do practically? When do you breathe and what, what, what do you recommend? Did you, did you realize your mic went off when you asked me that question? 
and the answer, I'm not going to say what I do, because that's, that's... Okay, just in general, nice. what, that's what my you, story. Talk about uh, the breath, talk yes. about the importance of breathing, yes. talk about everyone knows, everyone knows about the importance of breathing, because everyone breathes, right? You need to breathe to live. I think that's, that's a reason why it's the most accessible spiritual practice, breathing, um, because it's something you have to do anyways. Like you tell the person, I want you to sit now and visualize something, but I don't. I want you to sit and you know hear different sounds and, and chant, I don't. But breathing, you're walking down the street, you're breathing, so might as well make it into something that's deeper. Um, the whole process of creation, the, the way divine light, Shem's light comes into this world, is a way of inhale and exhale. This comes from mm -hmm. comes from Nari, but Valshantov speaks about this this heaven of Elia, this this supernal breath of life, which is that the life force enters into this world, which is like the external exhale into this world, mm -hmm. and then the life is returned. Everything is constantly being refreshed. The world is constantly being renewed. When you say that the world is every moment is a new creation, right. by definition it means that every other moment is a world of destruction. Right? Because if it's being created, it means it has to be, it was uncreated and now it's being created again. The uncreated process is the way the world is returning into the divine inhale. And then every time we take an inhale, we're actually breathing in the divine exhale. Wow. And the, 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 we're circling energy upwards. And, uh, and we're, we're connected with everything. Just a very simple awareness of breath allows us to expand ourselves to beyond the self. Rabbi, you have 12 books on the months. And I think they're fascinating. Thank you. They're just fascinating. <laughs> the rabbi I strongly recommend on Amazon. I believe they're on Amazon. Yeah, so, yeah. The rabbi has a book on every single month, the energy of the month. And not only talks about the Kabbalah of the month, but it talks about the practical tools, what to expect in the month. And I think that has tremendously changed a lot. Because um, what you expect in a month already, if, if you see, like, for this example, this month is a lot of, you know, it feels like there's an energy of, of resilience, that we're always falling and we're getting up. No, we're getting up. It's Scorpio, it's Scorpio energy. Talk about how, how to bring the month in, into you. What do you do practically when, the, when the, all of a sudden Cheshvan comes and that energy comes to the day? You know what's really fascinating about this, this conversation, I'll tell you what, yes. is that whether we're conscious or not, we actually, everyone feels it. Right. It's not a superimposed metaphysical truth that you're trying to create, saying this month is this, but I don't really feel it, but that's the truth. Everyone feels it. Feels it. it it's a transition period. Everyone feels the weather changing, maybe not in Florida so much, but everyone feels the weather changing, right. the days are getting shorter, it feels like you know the holidays, like the Amantai world, or the New Year's beginning. Everyone feels this type of entering into this morbid type of place, and then the, the strength to get up. So I think the, the months in their, on their own, there's when the, the Kabbalists talk about what the energy of every month is, what the letter of the month is, what right. the name of Yudke Vavke, they're just revealing to you what you're already feeling. They're giving wow. you tools to show you, why am I feeling so down, but needing to like, push myself, resilient? Why am I feeling like hopeful when Kislev comes? Amazing. So it, it's giving you tools and to say this is what's going on. This is what's happening at a metaphysical level, and this is the way is this is the way Hashem is talking to us. Incredible. One of the things he said about Cheshvan this month is that we're, we're not getting any arousal from above. So any happiness that we have today is because you put an effort. I mean, you're just not going to wake up and say, "Hey, what a great day today." Right. If you did something, you worked out, you did this, you did that. 
that is going to give you some kind of joy. There's nothing that's going to give you, it's not coming from above. So it's, it's an amazing thing to recognize that sometimes you have to push a little harder. And it's nothing wrong with you. It's just you're dealing with a certain amount of energies that the energy's there. And you have to, and you have to, you you have have to, to push through. Yeah, this is the month to push forward, to get up. You know, I talk about the snake because one of the interesting things about the snake is that you have to break snake consciousness right. through bowing down a modem, right? That's literally the spine. What you do a modem is you bow down, but then it says that when you, which is, turns into the snake, which is represents this uh, type of energy that goes through the spine. But it says that when you get up from modem, you also have to get up like a snake, wow. like a chavia, which means you have to transform snake. Wow. And transforming snake is, is the idea, that's why snake is the same numeric value as Mashiach. Because the transformation of snake is re the redemption of imagination is Mashiach. Because the reason why we're not, Tzadik Rakai, one of the great Tzadikim says that we used to serve God with action in the Beit HaMikdash time, right? We brought an offering, physical offering, and then the Neshama Farah Sasein, then we speak about the offering, right. which is Dibur, but it says in order for Mashiach to come, we actually have to redeem our imagination. Wow. And it's, it's actually happening, which means the world is moving from, from a world, this is part of the unfortunate and the fortunate part of what's happening in the world. People are starting to learn, people are learning more visually than audible today, mm. which is, it's like, it's a movement towards, towards, the, towards the visual, which is really a messianic idea if it's done correctly. Rabbi, what do you think the role of a woman is today as far as just like the trying, the woman or the res responsible for the liberation? Yet also the women are the ones that spend the most time on social media. So are we are we using that energy correctly? Are we using? And I've seen this again. I, I many times I ask people. I'm, we're black and white here. We're not we're not going to sugarcoat anything, obviously. But there's a lot of you know when you when you comparing your life to other people's lives, and you know you you see the perfect couple. You're not seeing if the guy got hit with a coconut before. You're not seeing if the guy threw a shoe at her. You're just seeing the highlights of a perfect world. And all of a sudden, people are buying into this. And when they, you're buying into this, this, you're buying into this picture, all of a sudden, you, you feel like, what's the point of praying? They're doing nothing, and look, look at me. I don't have that. So that's, that's making you despair. You compare, you're going to despair. And then that visualization cannot come out. And I've seen that a lot of people. I say, hey, you're not, you're not, you're, why? If you're not married, did you picture this? Did you picture that? No, I can't. How many times, how long, how long are you on social media? Five hours. <laughs> you have five hours to be on social media, but you don't have 10 minutes to manifest? So you have to, we, we have to get the priorities straight. And, I, and, I, and I've told people, just, I want you 20 minutes, 30 minutes, cut this out. And, and your, your life will dramatically change. Because I recognize, even myself, when I'm too involved, and I'm, I, don't feel like, I don't feel like doing anything. If I, 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 if I, if I had it my way, I would, I would ban all these social medias. Yeah. Um, I think the reason why people are walking around depressed, they don't know this, especially the youth. I don't know if you know what's going on even just in America, which I'm not even talking about Jews, just talking about America. America. We're talking about tremendous, the highest level of suicide in the history of the country. Right. Right. And it's all young kids, and it's all social media. Right. It creates, I would, if you are on social media, I don't know why you have to be out there, but let's say you need to for that for some reason. If you they are- have to see my post. Okay, fine. <laughs> so if they're on social media, let's see Dahlia's post. 
Just do not do it in the morning. You have to carve out time for this. The foundation of the day is, is the most important. Right. The first thoughts that you have for the day, the first words that you speak, the first acts you do, is the foundation of your entire day. Right. So you have to make sure you wake up in the morning and you do not turn on your phone for at least a few hours. Just start your day as a mensch. Right. Go to sleep. Do not fall asleep looking at social media because you're gonna have depressing dreams and you're gonna wake up depressed the next morning. And most of these things are not real. Like you're buying into nothing, unattainable. You, nothing is it's real. It's not real. So you're, you're getting upset about something that's not Correct. even real. Correct. This is, a, this is an algorithm that's trying to, right. that's trying to get a dopamine to, to keep you addicted to this right. nonsense. But right. stop it. Like why, why the madness? Uh, certainly for young people. And this is, this is horrifying what's going on. I have seen personally when I am on next, you know, just not focused. Yeah. Next thing you know, you wake up, you, you don't feel like doing it, and Correct. it does affect you. So if, you're, if, you, if you really, really, you know, just with the practicality, you know, you eat a heavy meal, you're not going to expect to have energy to, to work out the next morning. Absolutely. So it, it really works on the same thing. So your, your imagination has to be completely clear. A few and hours in the morning. Clear these things out. A few hours in the morning, a few hours in the evening. It's so important Absolutely just not. to cut certain areas before you go to sleep. And, and the time you wake up, just because that's a space to create. Instead of creating, we're reacting. And what are you reacting to? The same nonsense that everybody else is reacting to. So it's extremely important that wealth is really not giving energy away. And a, real, a sign of wealth is that my energy is not giving, you, know, you, you, you had a whole class on equanimity, which is living the inside out, not the outside in, which I thought that concept was amazing. Yeah. Like living in the time of presence. Talk, talk a little bit about living in the inside out, not the outside in. I mean, we, we, we constantly have a choice how we're going to live our lives. You know, if you, certainly if someone tells you something, and you know the story of, um, the story of Canaan and the story with, with Noah, is that whole story is that the need to impress or to need, need to be impressed is, is living like a slave. I'm choosing to live in the response to other people's perceptions of who I am or what my reality is, which, which is the way of living, living from, the, from the outside in. Or if you wake up in the morning and it's dark outside or it's raining and you say, ah, today's not gonna be a good day. The weather dictated to you how your day is going to be. But living from the inside out means that I am choosing how my day is going to be. And I wake up in the morning and I say, my Dani, thank you, Hashem, for giving me this beautiful day and for returning my soul and for believing in me. And this is going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be the best day of my life. Every day you should say that. And so, it will. So the solution is not to avoid, like you, you hear this, this mindset today, avoid toxic people, avoid this, avoid that. No, it's just deal with the people, but don't get, see how you can react differently. Is that the message? Or is it to put a boundary and say, get lost? There are, there are two types of toxic people. So. Okay. There are certain toxic Because today we're putting toxic on anything. Exactly. Anything is toxic. Everything is toxic. But I'm talking about like the low level of toxicity right. is manageable. Okay. People that you can manage, you know, we always have a choice in every experience that we have in this world, whether we're the recipient of the experience or the creator of the experience. Beautiful. Every, every moment. I'm having conversations with you, I'm choosing what I'm going to say, and I'm choosing how I'm interpreting what you're, what you're saying. So I'm a, a person has always choice whether you are the the effects of life or the cause of life, either the creator or the ex or being affected by it. 
And if there are certain people in your life that you can manage, which means they're toxic, but they, they need to be around. I don't know, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's even some in-law or something, just for the harmony of the family. You have to deal with this person. Then you, you say, I'm going to choose, I'm going to enter into that place, choosing to be in a good mood, even though the person I know is going to say X, Y, and Z. Then there are things that are so toxic that I don't, don't, I don't have the strength to control myself to do that. Maybe you will eventually. But if you don't have now, then stay away. Rabbi Nachman often says, he says many times that by focusing on the good points, which is the godliness of the person, I can physically change the person through my energy. What do you think about that? Just physically looking at them and seeing the good in them, I can physically change that person by sending them good energy. What, they, they, what is your concept of good energy in Kabbalah? Is it an ormakif? How, how do you relate to good energy? How do you relate? How do you bring that down into a practicality? What physically happens when I'm when I'm judging people positively? I hate to ask you such a complicated no, no, question. It's, no, no, it's, it's a good question because it also goes into the to the yeah. opposite with the ayin hara, like correct. Like, Someone projects an eye and heart you. So it's very, it's important to understand that every, every encounter has two. So okay. there's the, the negative perpetuator or the positive perpetuator of that, whether it's a visual or a word, and then there's a recipient of it. Okay. The Talmud, the Gemara says, when it talks about eye and heart, that if a person feels they have an evil eye in them, or they feel like they're affected by an evil eye, they should put their hand, like wrap their hands around their body. Right. Like make a loop around your body. It's a Sephardic crowd. They know they know all the tools. Okay, fine. <laughs> and you should say that I come from 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 Zarishayos. I come from Fasina. I come from Akdosi. What, what exactly is the most so you can show everybody? The thumb and the thumb. The two thumbs. Yeah, the thumb and the thumb. Got it. Like this. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Why why specifically that? Okay. So what you're doing basically, you're metaphorically creating a loop around your body. Wow. You're you created your own loop. And you're basically saying, I'm like Yosef, like Joseph, and you can't affect me because I am protected. And the moment you do that, even if a person is looking at you with a very negative eye and a jealous eye and trying to affect you, you just protect yourself. Hmm. So in order to receive a person's energy, you have to be open to receive it. Hmm. For negative, and that's also for positive. Wow. The same thing also with positive. When you look at another person, you see the you see that the, 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 the good point, the good point within the other person, and you allow them to see it. You say, you know, I know that you're going through a hard time, and I know that you're really struggling with this X, Y, and Z. But you know, you're a wonderful listener, or you're actually really, really <laughs> super sensitive. You give them like a compliment, and they believe it because it's who they, who they truly are. You it allows them to reveal that in a much more open way and that to expand into all levels of their being. Back so, to the question about the Ayin Hara thing, yeah. okay? Why, why are you associating with Yosef at Tzadik? Was it, was it because he was constantly happy? Yosef at Tzadik what is... Make, what what, what so, makes him merit that he should be the one that protects people from Ayin Hara? Because Yosef at Tzadik never... You know, there's, there's, a, there's a teaching that says, you say this every morning in Dominic, you say, I'll take up a Meshichari. Don't, don't touch the Mashiachs, the Messianic, the Messiahs, the Mashiach. And Chazal say, the Gemara says that Mashiach is Elot Megish of Israel, the children. So, yeah. That Chazal say that what is, who's the Mashiach? Who are we talking to? We're talking about children. And why are children Mashiach? 
Because you ever had a child? A child is a, a person that lives with dreams. I had a child, he's already an adult. I had a child when he was, he was 10 years old, or maybe seven, eight years old. He bought a scepter, he bought him a scepter, he said he wants to be the king of the universe. And I said, that's amazing, wow, you want to be the king of the world. And then there was some member, I'm not gonna say who, of the family, not the immediate family, once heard him say this, says, you know that's not a job. You can never be the king of the universe, that's not, that's not a thing, and I'm saying, I'll take him a Meshichai. Don't touch the child's dreams. Child wants to be the king of the world. He, okay, life is gonna smack him. He's gonna, he's, gonna get, he's gonna grow older. But when he has the pure innocence of imagination and dream, let him have the dream. Yosef, you wanna know why Yosef? Yosef is a young little kid, teenager, and he has a dream. He's a little shepherd boy in Canaan. And he has a dream that he's gonna be the most powerful person in the world. And his brother's like, what? what? <laughs> You're nobody. How are you becoming this, this great king? His father protected that dream. His father held that dream. His father said, don't tell your brothers because they're not going to understand. But I know I'm going to hold that dream for you. And that's what he became. He was never, never affected by other people trying to put him down. He knew that he was destined for greatness. Amazing. And every person, by the way, is destined for greatness. And the reason why most people don't be greatness in their life is because they never had someone that told them that you can be great. That's and if anything, they were, when a child, they said, you're asking weird questions. You're not really fitting in. Something's wrong with you. And all the, all the kid was a, is, a, is, a, is a creative child. Right. And this has tremendous imag imagination. But when you have a child, like celebrate that. Shama Sandover, protect that, hold it. I think people fear being great because of being judged when they fall. They, 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 they can't handle the judgment. I think people also mm -hmm. fear being great because they know they could be great and then they don't have an excuse of why they're so mediocre. Because mm -hmm. if you know that you can really be bigger than your problems, then why aren't you? Right. So the best thing is saying, I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm a struggler. I, this is my end. This, I am a fighter and I lose so many times. No, you're not. Who told you that? Who told you that story? Right. You want to tell yourself that story because you don't want to live greater. Because if you are going to live greater, it's, I'm beyond the problems. Watch, I never get angry. Back to this concept of, of, of becoming the new you. Yeah. You, you've, you've mentioned many times, you know, I, I've almost memorized your books okay. because the, the teachings are just phenomenal. I've used many of the tools. You said that in order for a person to change, it requires three steps, right? Abdallah, Hamtaka, Abdallah, and sorry, Hana, Abdallah, Hamtaka, which means submission, separate, submission, separation, separation, and sweetening. Explain, give us, give us this concept in a, in a practical way. These three steps people do, how how people can get to these. What is it, what does it mean on a practical level? Anything you do, very, very concise. Everything that you do, own. Own it. So that's, that's the submission. That's submission. I own what I did. I'm taking full responsibility. It's not his fault, that fault, the other fault. It's my fault. I perpetuate this action. I own it. Number two, I separate myself from it. It's not who I am, it's what I did. You must make that distinction because if you say you are what you did and you did something that was negative, then you are negative. Hmm. You're not negative. You're a good person that did a negative thing. So separation is, at first I own it, submission, then I separate, which means I 
that's not who I am, it's what I've done. And then the next highest level is sweetening where I can look back at all my mistakes and say, it actually made me the person that I am now. Beautiful. And that's the transformation of something that's wow. negative to something positive. Beautiful. So submission, and what do you think people have, people have the hardest stage in either submission or separation? I, 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 that's, that's, that's not, a question. Admi not admitting to the issue? I think a lot of people... Or identifying have, themselves with the problem. I think, first of all, most, a lot of people don't want to identify that they're, they're the perpetuator of mm -hmm. their lives. Like if a person's life is not working out, they're going to blame everybody besides themselves. And then once they own it, then they start feeling like a loser. Okay. Right? Because then the second stage is, okay, so I do own my life. And okay, let's say I want to make money. Let's say it's a very trivial thing, but I, let's say, I don't know, you know, people want to make money. Let's say I want to make money and I'm 40 years old and I didn't. And I, I haven't made money in my life. Or I want to be in a good relationship, whatever it is. First thing is like, oh, it's this fault, that fault, the other fault. And finally at some point you say, okay, but it's really your fault. And then if you really own it, then you start feeling like a loser. Like, what, what's wrong with me? Why am I in a good relationship? Why am I not making money? Right? And that is where the second problem comes in, which is submission, uh, which is separation. Separation. Which is, yes, you've done these choices to create the reality of your life as it is now, but those are things that you did. It's not right. who you are. And you're actually much bigger than that, much better than that. I guess that's where mindfulness comes, because we have to recognize, for example, I, I have a body, I'm not a body, I right. have a body. Correct. So if you, for example, you're trying to lose weight, oh, I look terrible. No, you, you are a soul that has a body, you are not a body. So once we start separating ourselves from that, I have a body, I'm not the body. I'm, I have a mind, but I'm not the mind. That's where real mindfulness comes, and that's where people can swing it. Yeah, I mean, mindfulness, uh, presence, being mindful is, is an essential thing to, to live. Any type of like Yishvadas, that presence of mind is always. I find the separation in my in my yeah. personal life. I have to do it through his bodhidut. Um, when I go into a deep deep meditation, you know, I'll, I'll have that. I'll, I'll look at the event. I will look at the event, not 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 be like under a rock in the event. Right. So I think prayer, what it does, is allows you to not be so attached emotionally to the event. So you don't say, oh, I'm angry. No, I, I, there's a moment of anger. And I, but without that deep contemplation, you, you, you can't do the Havdala state. You can't separate yourself from the situation because you're too in the situation. And I guess this is where you see today people taking all, you know, a, lot of, um, you know, a lot of psychedelics. They want to separate themselves from the event. But you can get the same thing through this brother dude. And you won't throw up. Yeah, right. <laughs> But it takes patience, time, and a lot of effort. But you, you see, when I've seen in a good prayer, I, 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 don't, I don't see myself in this, I see myself watching the situation. And then once you watch the situation, oh, I can change this. Without the judgment and the, and the, and the, and then beating yourself up, etc. But I think, I think the word das, which is Yishva das, the idea of, of settled mind, da and aid, Kabbalistically are, the same, they're actually the same letters, but it means a witness, which mm. means, das means to observe your life as a witness. As a witness. As a witness. I'm observing my life in a detached way, because then I can untangle myself in the problems. Because when you're stuck within, the, within life itself, within the trauma right. of life, it's very hard to untangle yourself. But the moment you can step back, you can do it through his or any, any type of 
deeper practice in, in your prayer, what you're doing is you're, it's, you're allowing yourself to like observe yourself. And then once you can observe yourself and your story from a detached place, from a witness place, that creates a certain settlement within your consciousness. Rabbi, the New Age psychology, you, you said in a podcast that you see modern psychology, the Rashab says it's 50 years ahead of us. That there's some, somehow the, all these tools are with, with, with modern psychology or with, with the non-Jews. And I've seen that, for example, you see a lot of big movement today in the future self. Like, you know, people want you, you know, you a lot of books on, on, imagine yourself as a future self versus reliving the traumas and reliving the traumas of the self. What do you think is the best form of therapy today? Again, it's a loaded question, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to put as much at, as, as much questions so we would be able to general, again, I mean... How much should a person focus on this past and how much should a person try to recreate his future? A person should never focus on this past, period. You know, the word, the word Avera, sin, comes from the word Avar, past. Wow. Because the past is that. Masha Avar, Avar. It's past. It's over. The only place that we live is in the present. Right? That's the only place that we're actually really experiencing life. Everything, everything is either, either memory or fantasy. Hmm. Wow. Right? So either you're living in the past or the future, but the only real moment is actually me right now having this experience in this present moment. And this is, the, this is the ultimate expression of the name of Hashem, really. Because the name of Hashem is yud Hey and avav And it's Yud makes the action continuous. Hey vav Hey is Hoiva, which is present. Wow. So yud Hoiva means the ever-unfolding present. If you're really connecting to the highest level of God, it means you're fully present in the unfolding present moment, the internal moment of now. Amazing. And in our life, Nothing happens, nothing really, nothing is gained. I'm not talking about extreme examples, of course. Sometimes there's sure. extreme examples that's because of certain traumas that you're feeling in the present, something a past experience. Mm -hmm. But it's much healthier for a person to live in the present while moving for, being pulled by a, a possible future than being defined by your past and trying to undo it. Now again, in certain situations, the only way to move forward is to untangle certain things that are pulling us down and holding us back. But if you're living, if you know yourself that you can be in this present moment fully alive and engaged in the internal present. Forget about the past. Masha Haya Haya, it was us, it was done, it's perfect. You, there is, there is, there is, you know, there's a place of Yudhiya and there's a place of choice, and there's a place of Hashem knowing. Right. Everything in the past is exactly the way Hashem wanted it to be. Everything. Wow. That's why the highest level of tshuva is not to do tshuva. Right. No, it's not to do tshuva. The highest level of truth. The highest not level of truth, of course. The highest level of truth is not to. The highest level of regret is not to regret. The highest wow. level of truth is not to do truth because the moment you're doing truth, you're saying the thing that I did in the past was actually bad. Wow, amazing. But it wasn't. It was exactly what God wanted Very to be. Very powerful. You first have to own it, separate it, sweeten it, and then come to realization that I don't have to. I don't have to do any truth for anything in my past because that's exactly what Hashem wanted me to go through that particular challenge wow. or that particular reality. That's incredible. Time to let go, everybody. You heard the rabbi. What are we letting go? Well, so that's, that's how we can let things go without guilt. Because obviously, you know, you, you see this as a, as a, there's a lot of shame and guilt. And there's a lot of... All non-Jewish words. Wow, wow. 
guilt is not a Jewish word. It's it's, it's uh, beautiful. I know everyone uses Jewish guilt in all these words, but it's it's there's no there's Jewish mothers give Jewish guilt. There's no such thing as guilt. Guilt is an inconsistency between something you've done and wow. something that someone tells you you should do. Either you own it or you don't own it. Wow. That's an incredible message. And that's that's why I love Hasidus, Rabbi Nachman also. He, you know, he speaks about getting up seven times. He doesn't, he, and he never replayed old unfinished business. He never replayed the past. Rabbi Nachman says in his teachings, he never re replayed the past and even spoke about the the greatness of, of, of just forget about it therapy. He's saying forgetting is one of the greatest gifts we have because if you didn't forget things, you could never study the parsha over and over. You could never start in a prayer. The fact that you can forget is one of the greatest gifts that you we have. So all this, we're living in a world of resentment, we're living in a world of guilt, we're an emotional blackmail. Let it go, let it go. Absolutely. It's easy as that. We are going to take some questions from, uh, everybody's shocked right now about letting it go. Is everybody okay? Do we have to call Hatsalo? Oh, we're good. Yes, you can let go, believe it or not. Uh, we're going to take some questions from the crowd. Yeah? Yes. Rabbi, you spoke about the power of visualization. And I wanted to hear from you, what should we be visualizing when we're imagining Geula and what that would actually look like? Can everybody hear the question? She asked, Rina asked, what should we visualize when we are imagining Gaula? What, what practicality should we visualize? There is two ways how to see this. There's, there's the Gula Klalis, the general, the world of redemption, which you can visualize, the Besamikdash, a fire. This is like, the, and it's something you can speak about, and others can speak about doing this. But I think with regards to every individual person, I think I have to think about the Gula Pratis. Their individual redemptive state. 